John chapter 15. If, you, if you're there, say, I'm there. If you don't follow along, say, I don't follow along. No, I'm kidding. We're going to read uh, the centerpiece in, in the gospel where Jesus talks about the vineyard and the, the true vine. So let's just read from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That's a good word. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Stop right there and say, I don't want that. (laughs) If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Isn't that so good? One of the early church fathers says, the glory of God is man fully alive. It says the Father's glorified when we bear fruit. And he goes on, he says, "Um, so that you will be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. In other words, a disciple bears fruit. Okay, just a few more verses here. Verse 9. As a father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Another way to put that is, let God love you and let God's love nourish you. We have a lot of sermons on how to love God better, but not a lot of teaching on how to just let God love you. And we can't love him unless we are first loved by him. He just told us, you can't do anything without me. Abide in me. And my words abide in you. But I love this. It says, as the Father loved me, the Father, imagine from all of eternity, the Father loves the Son perfectly. From all of eternity, the Spirit, Father, the Spirit, the Son. With the same love the Father has for Jesus, He has for you and I. Amen. Isn't that profound? Amen. And don't just take the information of that, but unpack that for all of eternity. Like, with the same passionate love the Father has for Jesus, He also has for us. And Jesus says, Abide in that love. Remain in that love. Let me love you. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Can you say amen? All right, now we're going to jump over to Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Okay, if you could turn over there. You guys okay with reading the Bible this morning? All right, just making sure. If not, go find another church. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Thank you, Father. 1 Thessalonians. Now, I want to talk to you today about cultivating 
the culture of heaven and what it looks like for heaven to invade earth. A lot of times when we think about like the prayers that we pray, the things that we believe for, we want revival in Rochester, you know, we want like how many want, we want all those things, right? We want our nation to turn back to God. We want like all these things that we want to see really what we're saying though is we want heaven to invade earth. And, and what that means is we want uh, earth to look like heaven. We want the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Father's heart and intent for humanity for us to live in our true design. Amen. And I want to talk about what that looks like because sometimes I think we have these grandiose ideas, but it's simple when we just learn to live uh, the way God intended us with one another and how that love that we have for one another overflows to the world around. So I'm going to talk about three things and, and we're going to tie in some Genesis scriptures too to this. I think it's very profound, some of the, the things we're going to look at today. And uh, we're going to start though in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we're going to talk about the first thing that helps cultivate the culture of heaven. I, I don't know about you, but if you look around, um, you know, like especially in the spring, when is the spring in Rochester, by the way? I've only lived here for a few years. August. Oh, come on. Stop it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. April. Is that legitimate? <laughs> Someone said August. <laughs> that was Dave. Dave Dana, did you say August? Oh, Ron did. Ron would say August. Ron, you're feisty. I like you. Um, but when things begin to grow, how many know that the environment, hear me, determines what type of growth? And like, I'm from Las Vegas, as mo many of you know, and things don't just like grow there. They don't thrive, they survive <laughs> because of the environment they're in. Like if you go into, actually the cactus uh, floral is beautiful. There's a lot of things, you know, you look at cactuses and you look at things out in the desert, beautiful. My dad sent me a picture, he's out on his property and it's just gorgeous. It's not very green, but it's nice. But there's a difference. So I, I want to talk about how we grow, but sometimes we can grow and not grow right. Like, I'll give you an example. You can memorize Scripture and not be transformed. John 5, 38 and 39, Jesus is like, hey, you search. He's talking to the Pharisees. And remember, the Word of God, the Scripture, the inspired Scripture, Jesus called it the Word of God, by the way, the word logos, and the scripture points and testifies of who Jesus is because Jesus is the eternal word. And when you read the scripture, the word, through the eternal word, Jesus, the lens of who Jesus is, you understand the word. And Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 38 and 39 is like, you're reading, you got your head in your Bibles constantly. He's rebuking the religious crowd right? The Pharisees. He says, but you don't even realize they testify of me. In other words, you can be religious in reading scripture, but miss the forest for the trees. You, Jesus was standing right in front of them and they missed it. And how many know that in their culture, scripture memorization was a big deal. So there, we can grow in knowledge, but not necessarily grow in intimacy with the Lord and be transformed. 
I've learned this in my Christian faith early on. I was memorizing scripture and I think the Lord, it, you know, he encouraged it. Like I encourage you to memorize scripture, but what I don't encourage you to do is that it's just knowledge. Like Jesus said, if you're my disciples, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. He wasn't saying memorize scripture and try to live right. He's saying knowing truth is experiencing the truth of who I am to you and the relationship we have. And when you abide in that, when you abide in my word, you're going to know truth. And when you know truth and experience truth, it changes you. It's so much more. And so everything grows. Stuff grows in the desert. Stuff grows here. Stuff grows in the jungle. But does it grow right? And is it cultivated? Like there are things that grow in our lives and they, they are meant by God and designed by God to be a blessing. But if they're not pruned and cultivated, they could end up being the thing that hurts us. Why is it that sometimes the things we pray for are the very thing that can destroy us? Like there's almost like this risk that if, okay, you want this blessing, but as soon as we get blessed, <laughs> we just run off with the blessing and you know, the, the saying that our anointing or gifting can take us places, but can our character keep us in those places? And so the Lord wants to cultivate in us a culture, a way of living that looks like heaven. As a community, as a church, as a family, in your life, in your relationships, if you're married, if you have children, we have to mirror what heaven looks like, the value system of heaven. Okay, I want to look at the first thing here, and the first thing is the Word. Just say it with me, the Word. First Thessalonians 2.13. Now, Paul is writing, and he, he loves the church, man. If you just read the letters of Paul, how he loves the church, even the church of Corinth, which was probably one of the thorns in his flesh. I don't think the thorn in Paul's flesh was sickness. That is pure conjecture. It, the Bible doesn't say that. I think the thorn in Paul's flesh was the church, but he loved the church anyways. It could have been persecution from the Jews, but I think in one aspect, Paul did feel a bit of a thorn in his side when it came to the people of God. It's just the way it is. And Paul, the way he still continually prays and pours out love on the church is just amazing. And if you read within the intent of hearing Paul's heart, and that rhythm of Paul's heart, the Apostle Paul, is resounding the heart of the Father for us. And so as we look at this, let's just, let's just say that he's writing to the church here in Rochester. Amen? So the first verse I want to look at, oh man, this is so good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to look at the word. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word of God that works in us. Now, it's interesting. If you look back, I'm going to just read one verse in Genesis. We're going to read the whole Bible this morning. So thank God football season's over. No, I'm just going to read one verse. I'm, I'm just messing with you. Verse 11, when God is creating the world, when God is creating the universe, and he's creating the world, 
Verse 11 says, let the earth bring forth grass. Let the earth bring forth the trees and all of the vegetation. God spoke to the environment and the environment brought forth fruit. The environment to cultivate the culture of heaven in our life has to be healthy. I could preach truth to you. You could hear prophetic words. I could hear prophetic words, which are seeds of hope and promise and life. But how many know that that seed and the power of that seed can be nullified depending on where that seed lands? A seed that is frozen for decades still has power to produce fruit. And sometimes we nullify the promises of God because we don't receive them. And Paul's saying, you not only heard the word, but you received it. Now, the environment that God spoke to, he said, let the ground produce fruit. It's just the nature of God. God, and today, to this day, thousands of years later, or millions, who knows how old the planet is, we know that God created everything, created the world, he created us in his image and likeness. We don't have to be literal, ultra-literal about how we understand the age of the planet. Can you say amen? We're not Christian fundamentalists, right? But we know God created everything. But when he spoke and said, let the earth bring forth vegetation, it's still happening right now. But how many know that there are places where it's just surviving and there are places where it's thriving because we live in an imperfect world? I remember, uh, it's actually not a fond memory I have as a parent, my second born, uh, which is my firstborn son, but my second child, my son David, he got asthma, or he he was born with asthma. And uh, I remember one of the first times he got really sick and we're in bed with him, and he's laying in bed sick, and mommy, daddy, not feeling good. How many of when parents, when your kids are sick, it's like the worst thing ever? It's just horrible, and you want to help them and ease their pain. Well, this was rough because he couldn't breathe. And when your kid is barely surviving, like, it, you can't sleep. And I remember when he finally got the right medication he needed, it was just like, And then he turned into this poor little kid, this sickly kid that was barely surviving into this wild kid that's running around, pulling the curtains down off the, I mean, like David, you guys know David, right? Imagine him as a little kid. He had this thick curly hair and he was so pretty that people thought he was a little girl until he spoke. He had this deep voice. Oh, I want to play with boy toys. And I remember Sarah loved him so much, and, and, and he hated her, like, uh, not really, but he, like, he would, she would go to hug him, and he'd just go like this, and didn't know how to receive love. David, you want to play? No, I want to play with boy toys. But David went from surviving to thriving, because he could breathe better. And there are times in our life that God's like trying to speak to us and give us truth, and we're just barely surviving because we're not welcoming the truth. Come on. And we're wondering why we're struggling to live. (laughs) It's like he's told you through all kinds of people, through people that love you or people that don't even like you. How many of God will use people that don't even like you to tell you the truth? It's even harder to receive from those people, right? But are we receptive and teachable and humble enough to receive the implanting of the Word of God in our souls that is able to save, that is able to heal, able to sozo, save, heal, deliver, to make us whole? There's truth that you have to receive so that you can be whole. 
All right. I'm glad for the one clap. I really am. No. It's not just knowledge. You know, John Wesley said, an ounce of love is worth a pound of knowledge. Sometimes we settle for knowledge about something. You know, and it's like, no, what is the truth of what we're talking about transforming us? Are we living this out? Is it a way of life? That's what a culture is. A culture is a way of life. I love the quote from uh, John Maxwell. You know, we always talk about vision in the church and you know, it's so important to have vision and what's your vision and, and you know, what's your, uh, uh, what's your like mission statement. And I believe in all of that. We need to have vision. Without vision, the people perish. But the, the word vision is prophetic revelation in Proverbs. But John Maxwell says this, that culture eats vision for lunch. In other words, you could have all the vision of the world, but if you don't learn to live it out, it'll just dissipate. We've got to learn to live it out, right? And, and we learn that through relationship and loving one another. And th- there's, a, there's a word, there's, there's truth that comes. This is where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company or some uh, translations, bad communication corrupts good behavior. You know, the word company is companionship. And Paul is dealing with false teachers, the Sadducees, that are denying the resurrection and he, so in other words, let me put it this way. There are people that, they're, that are trying to influence hanging out companionship that is not from God, hanging out with the community of the saints, speaking death, not life. Is there communication and companionship that is corrupting our good behavior? Now the word behavior is from the root word ethos, which is culture, the way that we live. Paul is saying, listen, you have received a lie about a reality that the hope of the church is the final resurrection. You are receiving death, words of death, not life, and it's affecting your culture, the way that you live your life out. That's amazing. Sorry, my mic is just all over the place. I'm not sure what's going on up here. I I love the, the heart of God, though, like, he has mercy when we're, when we're trying to figure stuff out. And sometimes it's in the, it's in the just surrender where we don't, of like a childlike faith where we're like, you know what? I don't have to understand it all. I just need to receive what God is saying in my life. Can you say amen? amen? And so we need his word. And so Paul is like, I'm praying for you. And don't forget the word. It's effectively working in you. The Greek word is energeos. It's, it's where Paul or James talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What was the point of all that? The point of all that was it wasn't the prayer of Elijah. It was the power of God through Elijah that caused the great thing. You remember, it's the word and the power of the word and the truth and not our ability. Hello? It's like, well, well, Zach, what about the scripture that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Read the next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, I got to work out my own salvation. Good luck with that. Jesus already gave it to you. Receive it. Learn to receive it. God is working in you effectively with power. And the spirit of God wants us to cultivate a culture of heaven, a way of living where the word and truth is not just knowledge. We're not just sitting together and talking about things, but we're, how do we live that out? How do I live out this way called Christianity? What does it look like? The other thing that I see in here, and this is, if, if I have three points, it would be 
uh, his presence. We need the presence of the Lord. And, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Now, I love this. Let's jump down just a few verses. Are you in First Thessalonians? Jump down to verse 17. It says here, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Wow. So Paul, his heart was for the church. And how many know he even said, like, I'm with you in spirit, which is amazing. Like there's, Paul could be present spiritually, his covering, his blessing, the fatherly love he has for the church because his heart was for the church. But he wasn't there physically and he was saying, that's not enough for me. I want to see you face to face. Isn't it beautiful? There's something about people's faces. Like I remember you know, looking at, I look at my kids now and I remember when they were little babies and they, their faces still look the same to me. They're just, you know, of course people, their face changes and they grow and our ears grow, right? Their nose sometimes doesn't stop growing. And uh, like there's, we change, right? We change, but there's still something about the beauty of someone's face. And Paul's like, I just want to see your little faces. I cannot wait till, they, and there's this, this thing in the Apostle Paul. It's like, in order to have relationship with you, I need to be with you. Yeah. Like, I want to see you face to face. I want to be heart to heart with you. Yeah. It's just beautiful. I, I, I love it. I remember on my, the first time I went on a mission trip, I was in the Philippines, and we were having an incredible time. I was seeing healings, miracles. I got to preach on island, this island. I remember riding on the back of this motorcycle in the rain, in the dirt, with my Bible. And I was like, I'm going to preach the gospel where it's never been preached, which really wasn't the truth. <laughs> I was actually going to a church, but it was amazing. And I, I remember laying hands on people and the power of God. Like I laid hands on this guy and he flew up off the ground and landed. Thank God he didn't get hurt. And then the two guys behind him got hit with the Holy Ghost and fell out under the power of God. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. These people are hungry though. And God was moving and we had such an incredible time. And I was there for like, I don't know, 15 days or something. And there came a point where I'm like, I miss my wife and my kids. And I would talk to her on this silly little cell phone that I had to buy at this little store. It was like an international phone. This is a, a while ago. And uh, it was, I'm texting from this stupid phone. It's not like the phones that we have now. I'm dating myself. It was like a Nokia. You remember the little Nokias? Who remembers those? And, and, then, and then I'm like, honey, I'm, I think I'm going to catch a flight early because the, the rest of the trip is we're just going to lounge around and sit on the beach. I don't want to lounge around and sit on the beach without you. And so I ended up leaving early, and I could not wait to be present with my bride and my kids. And the feeling in my heart could be compared with what Paul's saying. He's like, I eagerly endeavor to see your face with great desire. Now look what he says. This is his disposition towards the church. And he says this. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. I want to say something right here. Are there times in our life that we talk about setting boundaries, but really we're just bowing to a wall that the enemy wants up? There are times in my life the Lord rebukes me. He says, you're not setting a boundary. You're bowing to a wall. The enemy is trying to divide you from relationship with somebody else. Well, I'm just setting healthy boundaries. 
because I'm powerful and I read culture of honor and I know how to do that. I read keep your love on, so I gotta be. But do we know the difference? Paul attributes this separation to Satan. Like that's a big deal. Division is not from God. Walls are not from God. We want the walls to come down. We don't wanna build walls. And we don't wanna have a culture that reproduces that type of way, like walls. No. Paul says, I cannot wait to see you. And even though the enemy has blocked us, we're praying. And here's what he says. For what is our hope, our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Verse 20, for you are our glory and our joy. To see a culture of the presence of God. Now listen, here's the thing. We talk about the presence of God. Here's what it does. We see that when we look at each other, it's like, no, you are glorious. You bring me joy. Your life brings me joy. Paul looked at the church and says, you are our crown. You are our joy. First time the word presence you see in the Bible is when Adam and Eve hid from the presence of the Lord. The word in Hebrew is Panim. There's another verse in Psalm 26 says this. The psalmist says, Lord, you told me to seek your face. And then I said, yes, Lord, I will seek your face. Your face will I seek. Do you know that the same word for presence, Panim, is the exact same word for face, Panim. In other words, sometimes we think about the presence of the Lord as this feeling in a church service. But let us not forget It's who God is. It's his face. It's his person. It's who he is. When we seek the presence of the Lord, we don't just want a great service where it's just hyped up, man. I'm telling you, the culture of heaven knows the difference between hype and the anointing where there's wind on it from the unseen realm. It's not just something that motivates me. It's a revelation from another world that transforms me. And I want to, there's something about the atmosphere of presence. I asked my kids, I'm like, all right, kids, what is the number one thing that has cultivated you to know who God is in the heart of the father? First thing my son, David said, he said, the way you speak identity into us. And that goes with the first thing I said, the word of God, the way God speaks over us as his beloved sons and daughters. And that's what we're called to resound. Sarah, I asked Sarah, she said, it's the atmosphere of worship and the presence of God and also how, like, how God has got you guys through some of the darkest places and how he's turned things around for his glory and how he's been faithful. Let me tell you, when we, like, we, we, we just plunge ourselves in the presence of God, we know his faithfulness. And I wanna encourage you right now, this is what I felt like the Lord was saying, Our Abba does not do abandonment. If you've believed a lie that makes you think for some reason he's left you or you're not gifted or anointed anymore, that's not the heart of the Father for you. Our Abba does not do abandonment. Can you say amen? Now this scripture in Thessalonians, before I go to the last point, connects with the scripture in Genesis. So Genesis 1, back into creation, God, remember, he spoke to the environment. Let the earth bring forth fruit. That's the word, right? The seed goes into the ground, and it bears forth fruit. 
The other thing that he said here, as God is creating in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1, this is so powerful. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundant living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the heavens. So powerful. So God is creating and he's speaking to the environment in which something was designed to live. And the same way that fish are meant to swim in the depths of the ocean, we were meant to live in the presence of the Lord. Can you say amen? The last thing that I see here, and we're going to read just a little bit more out of Thessalonians, at the end of chapter 3, we're going to start reading at verse 11. And that is God's intention. In order to cultivate the culture of heaven, we need to know God's intention, God's heart for us. One of the things I forgot to mention, when we talk about cultivating, you know, I could do a whole message on this, that leadership is cultivation, not control. But cultivation actually means, like, there's correction. Hello? There's protection. See, you're designed to grow, but leadership are like, like big wood stakes into the ground that help you grow the right direction. And then there's pruning. And that is, that's how God cultivates, it, cultivates us. That's the atmosphere in which we can thrive and not just survive. So God's intention, God's heart. Now this is powerful. Going on in, in uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Thessalonica, verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now listen, hold on a minute. Paul is saying, may God like cause you to abound in the love you have for one another so that you abound in holiness. Why do we always think that holiness is this separation or isolation from other individuals about how I'm upright and I think good thoughts and I'm a good person and I have good morals. Of course, God wants us to live right before him, right? But that is because we know who we are. It's not just behavior, it's identity that precedes behavior. But Paul, catch this, is saying the culture of heaven where God says you're holy is when you love each other. So when we don't love each other, we're not walking in holiness. Uh-oh. Paul is saying that you would be blameless. Paul is saying when you love each other, God says, that's what I'm talking about right there. Same way that I am as a father, right? Like when my kids get along, I'm pleased. And Paul is pleading with the church to love each other that God would say, you're going to walk in holiness. Amen. I remember asking Josiah, my other son, he said, I said, how, how do you think is the number one way that you're cultivated to know God? And he said this, the way that you show us love and the way that you love other people. I got these three points for my kids and the Bible. Come on, somebody. Oh, I pay them real good. Trust me, they get whatever they want, those little brats. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Something about knowing the intention of God and knowing that we're loved. I, I, I read this quote 
uh, I heard this quote. Again, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, and uh, he was an Arminian in opposition to theological understanding of Calvinism, which emphasizes predestination, the sovereignty of God. And him and a guy named George Whitfield were good friends early on. And they began to write letters to one another. George Whitfield would preach against him and expose his ministry because he was, he, they didn't theologically agree. And they would write letters back and forth. And some of these letters were fierce. They weren't very loving, they were fierce. There's this powerful quote though, that I believe it was John Wesley that said it. And he said this, we loved more when we knew less. Can we get back to the simple things and just love? I mean, that's how they're gonna know we're disciples. And in the end, like, I wanna hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not gonna say, oh, you, you preached sound theological things your whole life. Of course, we're accountable as teachers. We want sound teaching, but it's not just right theology, it's right living. If I'm not loving, I wanna be known for love in the end. And this is what Paul concludes with. Like, this is God's heart for us. Now, here's, this is what's powerful, man. Before I read this last verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God creates the vegetation. He speaks to the ground, the environment in which it's designed to thrive. Then he speaks to the water, the environment in which it's designed to live, right? And then he creates us. And the environment he speaks to is himself. He says, let us make man in our image because we were designed to live in relationship and in communion with him. God speaks to himself and says, let us. If you want vegetation, you speak to the ground. If you want, come on, if you want fish, you speak to the water. If you want man made in the image and likeness of God, he's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, speak to the environment of himself. And then he creates us. God is love. Little children, God is love. If we want to thrive and live out the culture of heaven and see the culture of honor, which my heart longs for as we hear his word and we live in his presence and we learn his heart for us, that we can live out his heart to one another. It's his intention for us. It's the environment we're designed to live. John Wesley tells George Whitfield, you know, we love more when we knew less. Sometimes I feel like the gauge of our spiritual maturities is equal to sermonizing and quoting scripture and some new flashy prophetic word. I think all that stuff's great, but are we loving well? Come on. Can we demonstrate the love of God to one another? That's what really matters in the end. It's our origin story. It's where we came from. God says, let us make man. You came, you were cut from a cloth called the Holy Trinity. You were made in his image and likeness. And you've been woven back into that relationship through Jesus, through the redemption, through the incarnation, through the cross. You think about hard times you go through in life and you wonder where God is. I'm telling you, man, look at the cross. 
It is known as the ugliest of man's sin and at the same time, paradoxically, the most beautiful display of divine love. And there's something about our origin story that we know we came from love. We came from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We learned this, living this out, and the blessing was us. uh, When we were pastoring in Las Vegas, a young man gets saved in our youth group, and he ends up living with us and having his own room, and he becomes a part of our family. And it was an inadvertent, organic discipleship. It was like, you're just going to live with us, and you're going to learn what love looks like. You're going to sit at our table, and we're going to eat food together. And to this day, this young man, his name is Laris, is a son to me. And there's something about that welcoming back to the table that we learn God's intention is God's heart for us. Now, here's what Paul says. This is so powerful. Are you all ready? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, this is so encouraging, and I speak this over our church, I have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. How do you teach somebody to love? You don't. God teaches us how to love. I could teach you all sorts of things from the Bible. You can learn all kinds of things. You can listen to YouTube. Listen, but what I want to know, I want to know how to love. May our prayer be, Lord, let's be this church that Paul would say, God himself taught you how to love. Now, right in between there, by the way, he rebukes sexual immorality, which is a perversion of intimacy and relationship. I mentioned last week the scandal that's going on at International House of Prayer and Mike Bickle. If you don't know about it, you don't need to know about it. It's, it's horrible and grieving. A guy that was esteemed as a man of God was exposed with all sorts of sexual allegations. Another celebrity Christian fell flat on their face. It's like, God, when are we going to learn? Like we, I, I, how many know, like, that that type of perversion is a perversion of true intimacy and relationship. And Paul rebukes it right in the middle, a plea for purity, a plea for purity. And then he says, but concerning brotherly love, God himself has taught you. And indeed you do so toward all the church in the whole region of Macedonia. But we urge you brethren that you increase more and more. Can you say amen? My prayer is is that we would be open-hearted to what God is saying, to his presence, and to the reality of his heart's intent for us so that we can live out the culture of heaven. Because being a church and being a community that thrives, we influence the world around us organically. I think we hype stuff up so much. It's like, let's just learn to sit at a table with each other and love each other. Let's break bread. It's the simple things. It's not complicated. We don't have to like map out all these 12 Greek words of what discipleship is. Come on, somebody. Discipleship is a way of life. Culture is a way of life. Just love, just speak the truth, just walk in the presence of the Lord, invite people to your table and love people right where they're at. Come on. When we love people where they're at, they become who they're supposed to be. Can we stand together? And I'm just gonna close in prayer and I'm gonna let you go. 
We loved more when we knew less. Lord, I want to lay down the things that hinder me from loving more. Maybe it's a past relationship, brokenness. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's resentment, unforgiveness. I don't know about you, but I want to be known for love. In the end, I want to be known for love. Nothing else. So Lord, if there's things in the garden of our heart that need to be pruned or plucked, you're cultivating us as a community, but also us as individuals. Whatever it is in me that's not of love's kind, take it away. Burn it out, Lord. I give you my heart. Here I am as a pastor, as a leader. I don't have it all together. But as a community, may we come with humility and honor and say, Lord, I can only learn how to love through your word, through your presence, knowing your heart, knowing the heart of the Father. May we be a people that resound the heart of the Father to a broken world around. There's a lot of broken people that have not heard that they are beloved, that they are accepted, that they're chosen, that they're not rejected. Father, you don't do abandonment. You're closer than the air that we breathe. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So we turn our hearts to your love. Teach us to live in that rhythm of love and may it abound and transform Rochester. May the culture of honor and love permeate like holy leaven the world around us. Businesses, communities, cities, nations. Let love take over, we pray, in the name of Jesus. I want to take a minute. Would you just pray with me and ask God the same thing. Lord, whatever is in me that's not of love's kind, I give it to you. Teach me to love. Teach me to see people through the eyes of heaven. Teach me to honor and value and love people for who they are, how you've created them. Father, teach me what love looks like. Lord, let the weighty glory of your presence crash in right now every heart and bring healing to broken hearts. It's hard to love when we carry wounds. So Lord, heal our wounds from the inside out. We pray in the name of Jesus. And lastly, Father, I thank you for the hope. I thank you for the faith and I thank you for the promises of God that we are indeed a kingdom people and it's a kingdom that is increasing in its rule in the earth. And it's a kingdom and a government that will have no end. And the leaven of your kingdom is, is just permeating society. And so we step into that kingdom reign. And I pray that we be a people that understand the culture of heaven is not one that bows to the cultures of the world, but we're a people that love strong. And we're a people that are bold to declare the word of God, that stand up for righteousness, Lord. And may the culture of heaven invade the cultures of the world around us. 
And may we rise up as a people in this boldness and this anointing, Father, that values the Word and values your presence and knows your heart. And we would reveal it to the world around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And I thank you for this community. And may we rise up into a place of authority where we're not cowering, but we know who we are and whose we are and what we represent, that we are world changers. Come on. We are history makers in Jesus' name. Come on, seal it with a shout of praise.